0: AMD continues its investigation of the back doors and other vulnerabilities that CTS Labs publicly disclosed. That disclosure remains controversial. Black TDS offers malware distribution as a service on the black market. Pink Kite is a small but persistent point-of-sale threat. The SEC charges a former Equifax exec with trading on non-public information of the credit bureau's data breach. Germany, France, and the United States join the United Kingdom in denouncing Russia for the Salisbury nerve agent attack. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, March 15, 2018. AMD continues investigation of the backdoor's CTS lab says it found in the manufacturer's chips. CTS claims the chipsets are shipping with exploitable manufacturers' back doors, installed by Taiwan-based manufacturer AS Media, a subsidiary of AsusTech. The back doors would thus seem to be a supply chain issue. Motherboard observes that AsusTech settled a U.S. Federal Trade Commission case in February when the FTC complained that AsusTech hadn't been properly attentive to hardware security flaws in its routers. CTS Labs apparently gave AMD just a day before going public with its disclosure. They've been criticized sharply for the short deadline. They've also been criticized for what some observers have seen as a disclosure that's longer on marketing than it is on technical detail. In fairness to CTS Labs, other researchers have since independently validated that the flaws they identified in the chipsets are indeed real. There is disagreement about how serious a risk they represent. Some agree with CTS Labs' very dark and alarming assessment. Others think that assessment is overblown. The vulnerabilities are second stage vulnerabilities, that is, exploitable only by an attacker who had already obtained administrative access by some other means, phishing perhaps. The European Union's GDPR regulations kick in this coming May, and among the many groups it's sure to impact are online marketers. Ted Bardouche is CISO at Usermind.com, a company that helps provide business process automation. He joins us to help explain how data-rich marketing will intersect with GDPR.
1: Data-rich marketing is getting beyond just the old focus groups that people used to do and taking advantage of the fact that with electronic and digital media, we have a far better idea of who and what people are, what they do, what their interests are, what their activities are. And there's a tension here, of course, is some people don't want us to know as much about them as we do. Some people are very concerned about that. And Europe has led the way in addressing that with the General Data Protection Regulation that is providing a lot of guideposts on what we can legitimately keep track of and what we can't and how we have to treat people's data and what we have to do to assure the individual that we are handling things correctly.
0: So walk us through that. How do you strike that balance?
1: It's got to be something that's done, A, with respect for an individual's data. I think if you approach it with the attitude that this data isn't your data, it's the person's data, then you're going to have a lot easier time figuring out what is the right or wrong thing to do. For example, not keep track of someone's data from 10 years ago if you haven't been in touch with them since. There is a pretty good chance they don't remember you and they don't consider that they have a relationship with you, so keeping their data is a way of forcing a relationship they're not aware of. There's a pub in England that decided Their approach to being GDPR compliant was they deleted their entire email list and told everybody, just come look at our website because they didn't want to get it wrong.
0: Now, I, I have to say, I, I suspect people are cynical when it comes to this sort of thing because we, we're in an environment where I think we feel like so much data is being collected and, and it often surfaces in, I think, what people describe as kind of creepy ways where you go and you, you, know, you go shopping for something and then ads for that thing shows up later when you're browsing on the Internet. Um, f- as someone who works in this space, uh, wh- what do you recommend for people to, to do this in a way that's going to earn back consumers' trust?
1: Hi, uh, that, that is a very good question because I, I agree and I get creeped out sometimes too and I'm really careful. Where marketing is heading is to be able to do things that people who don't think about it are going to suddenly get hit with, wait a minute, how did you know I was looking for a car? Well, it could be that in your Google Maps, you went to a car dealer and then you were on the internet and Google served you an ad that talked about that car brand and that's a legally legitimate thing to do but it may creep somebody out what we need to realize as people that are using a lot of this data is where people are going to think that's creepy and where they're not and there are all sorts of theories being bandied around that oh it's a generational gap or something else but i think people are just creeped out by what's creepy
0: yeah, and as we approach GDPR, um, do you suspect we're going to see a lot of people coming up short and being prepared for it? Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. I was just talking to a gentleman who is uh, working out of England, and he said he just saw a statistic that 25% of small and medium-sized businesses do not know what GDPR is in England. Hmm. So yes, there will definitely be a large gap when we get to May 25th. I think a big thing that people are not keeping in their mind is that GDPR is more than just this, it's also the right to be forgotten, the right to inspect data, to correct data, and to export data. And those are things that previous privacy regulations and frameworks have not really addressed. I think a lot of companies are just not taking that into account when they think about how to be compliant. And those are things that we all have to respond to pretty
0: quickly. That's Ted Bardouche from Usermind.com. Security firm Proofpoint says Black TDS, a traffic distribution system, is gaining significant black market share. It's being sold in dark web markets for $6 per day. Longer subscriptions bring a discount. Forty-five dollars for ten days, ninety bucks a month. Criminal clients post their malware, and Black TDS handles distribution. This is another instance in which a black market functions like a legitimate market. There's some new point-of-sale malware in circulation. Kroll Cybersecurity describes Pink Kite, a small, unusually persistent bit of point-of-sale malware. Its small size, less than six k is comparable to other point-of-sale malware like Abaddon POS and Tiny POS. The small footprint helps it fly under the detection radar, yet it's big enough to have memory scraping and data validation tools. Kroll told the Kaspersky Security Conference this week that Pink Kite differs from its competition in three main ways. Built-in persistence mechanisms, hard-coded double XOR encryption, and a back-end infrastructure that uses clearinghouses to handle exfiltrated paycard data. Pink Kite's clearinghouses were in Canada, the Netherlands, and South Korea. This had some efficiencies from a criminal point of view, as opposed to the more customary practice of reporting directly to a command and control server. But on the other hand, it was a relatively noisy technique the researchers found helpful in their investigation. Many wondered whether the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission's recently clarified cybersecurity guidance actually had teeth. Apparently, it does. Yesterday, the SEC has brought insider trading charges against a former Equifax executive who dumped his company's stock after learning of its 2017 breach, but before that breach was publicly disclosed. The SEC alleges that Jun Ying, former CIO of one of Equifax's business units and in line to become the company's global CIO, concluded on the basis of confidential non-public information, insider information, that Equifax had sustained a serious data breach. Indeed, it had. Knowing about a breach isn't, of course, criminal, but exercising your vested Equifax stock options and selling the shares for nearly $1 million before public disclosure of the breach might well be. The SEC says that the alleged insider selling enabled Ying to avoid more than $117,000 in losses. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Georgia yesterday announced parallel criminal charges against Ying. Turning to international tensions that will have significant cybersecurity implications, Moscow has taken a very hard line against British charges that Russia tried to assassinate a spy in the U.K. with nerve agent. Russian official representatives have demanded to see the evidence, called the attempted murder a provocation, that is, actually committed by British intelligence services or their allies, warned against any of the cyber-retaliation the UK is said to be considering, and chillingly cautioned Britain against threatening a nuclear power. Britain's allies have generally been strongly supportive of Her Majesty's government's case against Russia. Many of those allies are particularly condemning the weapon used to put Sergei Skripal and his daughter Julia into critical condition. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg today called the attack unacceptable, saying nerve agents have no place in the civilized world. He also connected the attempted assassination to Russian policy. Quote, the attack in Salisbury has taken place against the backdrop of a reckless pattern of Russian behavior over many years, End quote the U.K. has requested an emergency meeting of the United Nations Security Council. U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley denounced Russia for the attack in the strongest possible terms, indicating that the U.K. can count upon U.S. support in the Security Council and probably beyond. Some form of heightened cyber conflict can be expected, as both sides to the dispute possess considerable operational capabilities in cyberspace. And finally, this morning, the U.S. Treasury Department announced a new round of sanctions against Russia as reprisal for both election influence operations and cyber attacks. specifically the NotPetya campaign that spread from targets in Ukraine to a large number of victims elsewhere, especially in Western Europe, but also in North America. Particularly targeted are individuals and institutions named in the Justice Department indictments, like the notorious Internet Research Agency, the St. Petersburg Troll Farm. But also affected are some of the wealthy oligarchs who constitute mainstays of President Putin's rule. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He's the Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks. And he also runs Unit 42, which is their threat intelligence group. Rick, welcome back. Um, We have spoken uh, a few times about the Cybersecurity Cannon Project, which uh, we agree with you all is an important way to uh, help keep everybody safe out there. You all are coming up on a milestone here. What's going on?
2: Yes, it's hard to believe, uh, but we are coming up on five years of mm. running this thing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled and excited and can't believe it's taken that long. As you know, one of the reasons uh, we started it was the fact that we are all busy people. And if you were to decide this year that you're going to read a book or two to get smart on some new cybersecurity thing, you might, you know, go over to Amazon and take a look at cybersecurity books. Well, Amazon will return some 1500 tomes to choose from so how do you choose which ones you're going to spend time with so the canon project consists of 15 committee members uh, they're network defenders they're cso's cios cto's journalists consultants lawyers general practitioners and they read the books they write book reviews and they make the case that a particular book falls into one of three buckets this is a must read for all of us not a must read but we'll have some niche interest for some of us And do not bother, which I think is the most uh, important category we have there, right? So this is kind of a community service for the Network Defender community. So let me ask you, are you a sports fan or a music fan, or are Uh, you both?
0: I would say of the two, definitely more on the music side of things. All right, so what we've done is
2: set up a project similar to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to cater to my host here, right? (laughs) So uh, the committee members read the books and make their recommendations. If the book is a must-read, it goes on the candidate list. Every year, the committee selects a handful from the candidate list to be placed into the Hall of Fame, very similar to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So as of today, we have 76 books on the candidate list, and we put about 19 into the Hall of Fame, which gets me... To the gala was the reason we're having this conversation,
0: right? Not just uh, not just an announcement about the uh, cybersecurity uh, canon, but an invitation as well.
2: Exactly right. So on May third, we are hosting the fifth annual gala dinner awards ceremony at the stunning Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Washington D.C. Oh. <laughs> That, that You're was quite the
0: salesman rick yeah go, go on go on keep going keep going
2: uh so we are inducting five new books from the candidate list into the hall of fame this year and all the authors um will be present to receive the awards. so that's kind of cool they all yeah. come in you get to meet them and things right
1: yeah
2: um now, we modeled the gala after the Academy Awards, so I, I, I dress up in black tie. This made my uh, appointment to go down to the men's warehouse to get my uh, tux, right? <laughs> okay. And I hand out these very heavy statues to all the authors. And so local cyber luminaries and students from the tri-state area come to meet the authors. We have a great dinner, and they all come to support the Cybersecurity canon Project. So if anybody who's listening wants to come, they can find me on LinkedIn, and I will send them the invite.
0: Would you have a favorite this year? One of the uh, one of the books on the Hall of Fame list that really uh, struck you as being important? My favorite
2: book on the Hall of Fame list is the book that got me into cybersecurity in the first place, way back in the late nineteen eighties, and it's "Cuckoo's Egg" by uh, Clifford Stoll. Right, and it's the first time we all realized that there was actually cyber espionage going on. And in that particular book, Mr. Stoll tracks down. Uh, Russian cyber aspect spies that used East German hacker mercenaries to break into university systems, to break into government systems. Because, you know, back then, uh, this, there was no security. It was just strings and cans. Okay, That book reads like a novel, and it's just fantastic. And it turned the corner for me. It made me uh, want to be a cybersecurity person.
0: Yeah, you know, one of my favorites is uh, you, one of your um, recipients is Stephen Levy. Uh, one yeah. of his books was on there. And from way back, one of my favorite books is Hackers. Heroes of the oh. Computer Revolution. I devoured that book when I was, uh, I guess, in high school age. Uh, that really uh, set my imagination going. So yeah, these, these books they can make a difference.
2: Hackers. Uh, that book is right now on my bedstand, is uh, in or, in the queue next to read. So um, no, it's that's a good one. A good choice.
0: All right, Rick. Good talking to you as always. Good luck with the event. Thank you, sir. and share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI,